Let's preview the Pacers season with some over-unders. Will they exceed their win total? Will Tyrese Halliburton up his scoring? How will Obi Toppin fit in? Will Benedict Matherin finally put together some passing chops? We'll get to all of it with Will Furt today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, a fun one, looking ahead at the Pacers next season by making some over-unders, some of which are from Sportsbook, some of which I came up with. We start off by looking at the Pacers' win total and then diving into some stats for individual players and the team as a whole. And who better to do that with than friend of the pod, Will Fur, who's been on all the time. We get into a ton of stuff. Will the Pacers exceed their win total? Will Tyrese Halliburton increase his scoring? How will Obi Toppin fit in? Could Andrew Nemhard move into a bigger role? How will the Pacers' defense shake out this year? We get into all of it today in a very fun and wide-ranging conversation with Will Fur. Really excited to get into it. Let's just get right to it. It's time... For some over-unders, but not real ones, because I'm not giving those sports books my views today. Instead, I made up most of them myself to kind of define, I think, how some of the Pacers players' roles could change or be slightly different, I think, than public perception for a lot of the players that I came up with. Joining me to break these down and look ahead at some players' seasons via their stats or the team via some numbers, he's a returning guest, formerly of the Fieldhouse in 8.9 seconds. It's Will Fur. Will Happy Sunday. Are you enjoying this time of the NBA calendar? Do you hate it? James Harden is apparently not going to get traded, but also still wants to. It's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) I am certain that James Harden will report and everything will be just fine for the Sixers. He's a true professional. It'll be cool. (laughs) Over under my weight for James Harden on the first day of training camp. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say uh, James Harden's going to come in about 235, 240. That would have been a funny topic if I had the time to actually think through what that looked like. We're doing Pacers over-unders, not James Harden related. Go check out Locked on Sixers for the latest on that front, which is very weird and surprising to me. Either way, this is a Pacers show, and the only sportsbook-related over-under I want to do is the very first one, and the one that the most people will talk about leading up to the season. Number of wins, number of straight-up wins the Pacers will get this year. And I did a show with Matt Moore a few weeks ago, kind of taking stock of the East and where the Pacers could land and how many wins it would take for them to get to where they want. And he had me guess the Pacers' win total projection from some sports books. And I guessed 40 and a half. He said, no, that's too high. And I thought that was surprising. The answer was 37 and a half. As of this recording, that was DraftKings' latest projection. Why does that surprise me? Because they won 37 games last year, and they got Bruce Brown. Like, even if no one else gets better, is he not worth one win to me? Like, I get that there's some reasons to say that <laughs> they overdid their their net rating a little last year, but I thought that was surprisingly too low. So, Will, I'll do the low number first, and you tell me if I sound crazy. Do you think they would go over or under 37 and a half wins? Unless something horrible happens, I think that is an easy over. Agreed. Good. <laughs> yeah, that like, like if Halliburton's the same player, if Matherin's the same player, if Turner's the same player, like they they didn't have bad injuries last year, but they didn't have good injuries either. Like, I don't get how they could be the same level of team. Like Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin are theoretical upgrades. 
like al alone. It, it, that was crazy to me. The real number, the one that I think is more interesting, is 40 and a half. Can they get to a 500 team? Because I do think they got better, but I also think a lot of teams got at least thought, think they got better this summer. So like wins will be harder to come by. And the, the reason for some downside thinking is, well, they were awesome in the clutch last year, and that can be unsustainable. And uh, you never know what young guys are going to get better. You never know if Toppin's going to be a good fit. Maybe Bruce Brown is better on a contender than on this level of team. And then maybe they only did get like one, two, three wins better. Or maybe they actually have a, a bad injury. Like they didn't have – they had a couple guys get hurt in this time last year, but they didn't have any like, oh, gosh, they're without a great player for two months kind of deal. So I get why the number isn't like way higher, but 40 and a half I think is more interesting. Well, where would you land on that? Because I think – I have my answer, but I'm not sure. You can say they didn't have a bad injury, but when Halliburton originally got hurt for that, I think, 11-game stretch that they went like 1-10, in 10, that was – they'd never admit it, but they kind of flipped the switch then, and they're like, okay, let's play for draft pick. And Halliburton <laughs> would miss games yeah. here and there. Miles Turner would get a hangnail, and they'd sit him for two games. And it wasn't any bad injury, but it was clear that they were fine with taking some L's and trying to move up in the draft. And I don't think they'll do that this year. I think guys are going to play through stuff. I think uh, and unless, like you said, there is a two-month kind of starter injury, the number that I would have put it at was 41 and a half. So I'm going to go over on yours slightly, just a little. I think they will be 500 with uh, any kind of average injury luck. I think it'll be close, but I, I expect them to be in that play-in race and a little bit over that that mark. So the optimist could give you two numbers right away to say over on the numbers we just said, right? And that's one is 56. That's the number of games Tyrese Halliburton played last year, right? Like that's almost exactly two-thirds of the season, right? Like a third of the season is a lot of games to be without an all-star level player. Granted, I'm like you said, he probably could have played <laughs> More of them, but still, he did not play in those games. So what? how much better can you be if your all-star point guard who changed the fortunes of your entire franchise and just got $260 million is actually playing all of those games? That is one optimist to take. The other one is the number I cited a million times. The 48 games they played with both Turner and Halliburton, they were 26 and 22. That's a good team. That was like 45 win pace, 46 win pace, which would have had you in that you know seven, eight, nine range in the East last year. And it's look, we've been covering Miles Turner for a while. He's not going to play all 82 games, but you know, the number he plays might also be higher than when he played last year for similar reasons. So if they get those guys, not even like a like great health, like they both play 70 plus, but like if they both play 65 to 70, like that alone gets you almost all the way to 37 wins. So then you just need one of the new additions to be better or one young guy to take a significant step forward. And they have a lot of guys who could be candidates for that. So to me, 37, I was just like, not, like insulting is a stupid word for this. But I was just like, what? Like that really surprised me. And I think there's more ways that they end up smashing it high than smashing it low. And the way they would go below is just like, you can't predict it. It's just that, that it's the kind of stuff that could happen to any team where it's just like your one awesome player misses two months and you just have no chance. So I would, I, I think my number is going to be 41. I like when the schedule comes out because then I can see like maybe they play a team in their tier like Orlando, but like all three times they play them, it's like a tough back-to-back -back or something. Like that could ding them down a little bit. So right. like my tentative pre-schedule predictions in that 40 to 42 range, but 
I think 37 and a half is too low. And I think our numbers are at least where I would have the Pacers headed into this coming season. Right. I I would say this is a 42 win roster. We'll see if they get a 42 win skin. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, they do have the advantage and they have this every year. I, I, feel, I was telling someone this, like I write this every year, but it's always true. Just because they're in the Midwest and all these teams are so close to them, like their travel's always lower and like it's easier to get them on. They never have the most back to back. So they don't have to be like stuck on some coast for forever. So it is nice for them in that way. And their schedule's never like terrible compared to other teams, but it can influence things depending on who and when those back to backs are. Okay, this is good. Good start. We both agree. Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp are not happy that we are not screaming at each other over a big debate. So let's move Fair to enough. the ones I came up with. And not the professionals who are clearly lower on the Pacers than us. And we'll start with a new guy, Obi Toppin. And this one is tricky because I wanted to think about his point total this year. And doing so requires thinking about how much he'll play, right? He's never averaged more in his entire career than nine points per game. That was on 17 minutes with the Knicks, his second season in the league. He didn't shoot a bunch of threes that year, but his two-point percentage was his career best by a decent amount. His per 36 numbers last year, 17 per 36 last year with the Knicks. So per, let's say he plays 24 minutes, which is about what I predicted when building out the rotation. That's two right. thirds of that 17. You get close to, you know, 12-ish, right? Uh, he had 19 points per 36 the year before. So the number I have for you, Will, Obi Toppin, points per game this coming season, over under 11 and a half. Uh, I think he's going to be over fairly comfortably. Ooh, he's, ooh, comfortably. He's never played with a creator before. Uh, when he put up nine, when he put up seven and a half in, you know, 17 and 16 minutes, he's I, I, people are going to come at me about not calling Jalen Brunson a creator. He's a self-creator. He's not uh, a Tyrese Halliburton level creator for others. Let me, let me clarify. Brunson's awesome. Um, but I oh, think you are not allowed to say Brunson is awesome. I have learned while the the uh, World Cup qualifier friendlies are going on because apparently it matters a great deal to people who starts for Team USA. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure somebody's going to come in and tell me Halliburton's a fake All Star and it should have been Brunson. <laughs> and... <laughs> Continue. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I just I think he's going to get six to eight points a game on easy dunks from Halliburton, especially if he winds up starting, which I kind of expect is going to be the case. Uh, so I, I feel like he's been getting most of his points or at least half of them self-created. And if he gets six to eight off easy dunks from Halliburton, that means he needs to get two or three buckets off offensive rebounds or uh, leak outs, things like I just think he's going to be in the 12 to 13 range pretty easily if he's playing over 20 minutes a game. Uh, I think Halliburton's going to be a life changer for him. Hey, guys, one short little break here so I can talk to you about FanDuel because football season, it's here. Preseason action has gone. The regular season's about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner on FanDuel, you can get bonus bets every single time that team wins during the regular season. Whew, just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you will get bonus bets for every single victory that team has. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, on some over-unders like today, on player props, and all more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash lockdown. Again, check it out at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. 
Can I give you a stat that almost is is breaking my brain now that I'm reading it right now? How many shot? How many two point shots per thirty six minutes do you think Toppin took last year? Let's see. He might be right in front of you, so you can just look at it. But this number is surprising to me. It was really low, right? It was very it is low. Really like low. Yes. two or three. It is a uh, five point nine, which is still much lower than that. per thirty six minutes. Like that's oh per thirty six. I was thinking per <laughs> game. My bad. That means he's taking per per thirty. That means per six minutes last year, right? Like that's like a stint for a backup, right? He took one two pointer, right? Like, and he's good around the rim. So the encouraging thing to me is something you just said is that playing with someone like Caliber not only will get him shots, but like shots at the rim, right? Like his his bread and butter kind of area. The question is the three. Will he shoot 34% again? Is he close to the guy he was the first two years in the league? He upped his three volume significantly last year, but he might not have to with the Pacers this year. I think that's kind of a swing because I think with the starters, on one hand, you could say, well, he'll, if he doesn't start, that's a lot of shots available for other starters, but like Matherin's going to shoot more if he starts. So I think there'll be enough shots for me to go over on Obi Top and 11 and a half points per game. But I think if Matherin is better enough that he needs the ball a lot or Hal Burton tries to take a step forward as a scorer, there are ways where his shot attempt numbers might just not be high enough, even if he is playing with Hal Burton all the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think some of the problem previously has been that, you know, Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein. Uh, yeah, Hartenstein yep. were not necessarily conducive to Toppin's game and playing 100%. next to Turner or, and I think we're going to see this and not enjoy it on the defensive end, playing the five uh, will give him a lot more space in the paint to to get some two-pointers. Wow, I have a lot of other questions about the ripple effects of such a thing. Although I would get it. I would understand it. I I, second unit, you throw in Nomura, Heald, Nemhard, McConnell. With Toppin at the five, I think. You have intrigued me. I have never thought of this for some reason. You have interested me. Okay, I might go over just because of that idea, too. <laughs> I was already pretty close. Okay, that convinced me. Good. Um, next up, we go to a returning player, although one that I just kind of alluded to something I wanted to discuss with him, and that's Tyrese Halliburton and his points per game totals next year. Well, Tyrese Halliburton took 15 shots per game last season. It's a good number. There was this great story in uh, his slam uh, cover story. I don't know if you've read that yet, where he talks about how he was meeting with Drew Hanlon, his now trainer. Drew Hanlon said, I think you're very talented to train you, to take you on as a client, and for you to reach the goals you want of stardom and and accolades, you need to shoot more, dude. And then he went out against Philly the very next night and had a career high and took like 20 shots and he had 38. Tyrese Halbert's an efficient player. When he takes shots, it's good. I get why he doesn't shoot more. He's naturally a pass-first guy, but like right around him in the 15 shots per game range, you're talking about like Kevin Porter, Bojan, Bam Adebayo, Josh Giddy, um, like guys that he is better than, quite frankly. If you get to a number like 17 shots per game, which I think makes a little more sense for a guy like Halliburton, you're not talking about Desmond Bain, Hero, Markinen, DeRozan, like I would just said Brunson. He is so efficient that to me, he should shoot more, but I don't know that he will, given the dynamics of the Pacers starting five. And so I have now rambled on to why I have given you this prompt of Tyrese Halliburton over under this coming season, 20.5 points per game, a 0.4% increase. Do you think he goes over or under that number? I think it's going to be under, and I think it's going to drive us nuts. 
that's plausible. Keep going. Give me more. Why do you think? I, so? I think he's going to attempt right around the same number of shots, maybe a little less. I think there's going to be a lot of games where the game ends and we're wishing that he had taken two, three, four more shots. I think he's going to get asked about it. You know, like he was with, you were talking about with Hanlon, like you're efficient. You should take more shots. Last year, he set his career high and threes attempted per game by like two a solid two threes per game. And he shot 0.08% worse than his career average. Oh, while no. taking two more a game. <laughs> like, can we get another one or two? Can can we see what that percentage does? I would love it if he was shooting 19 or 20 shots. But if you're moving Matherin into the starting lineup, uh, Matherin's a guy who needs the ball. You know, Heald wants to come off screens, catch and shoot, things like that. Matherin wants to dribble, face up, uh, have the ball for longer. And I, I just think we're going to get out of the season wanting more scoring from Halliburton. I think he's going to be under. So here's his big uh, growth to me from as a scorer last year. The percentage of his two points shots that he made last year that were assisted was 24.7%. That was the lowest it had been outside of his uh, in his whole career. But uh, outside of the 51 games in Sacramento as a sophomore, that was the best stint or part of a season he's ever had. Uh, from three, 44.7% of his threes were assisted. Less than half. That's crazy for a guy who shot 40% from three. That was a career low by 14%, right? So he was self-creating his shots. He can create the level of efficiency he has with no help and be a guy with a, what is it, 60 point what percent true shooting? I should know this by heart. 62.4%. That's crazy. That's like nuts. He is an efficient offense just having the ball in his hands. And so that's why I always think he should shoot more. And he knows this. He has said this on the podium before. It's so like backwards to think about, but he says, it's almost selfish when I look to pass first because it's not actually helping the team sometimes. And I know right. I know he knows it because he says it and he understands it and he explains it, right? But I just think his natural inclination is not to play like that. So I'm kind of with you that for it to happen, for him it'll feel like pulling teeth and it might look unnatural, but if he gets higher scoring numbers, presumably on similar efficiency, that'd be good for the Pacers. So I don't really know. I think this one's really hard because it would kind of change the fabric of what he is as a player. But at the same time, the guys he plays with, like a lot of guys on the pace are taking a step forward, like Toppin, like Matherin, like Nemhard, like a lot of backup forwards. Their step forward would be like a little bit better as a scorer and like meriting the ball a little more. So part of me wants to say under also, but I think just because he's kind of understand, he's growing in his understanding of like me shooting and creating the shot is sometimes the best thing for us. I think you get, I think he'll take that one more shot per game and given his true shooting percentage, that should net him about 0.6 more points per game. So all it takes is one more shot per game and he's going to go over. So I'll give him the over, but I think you're right that there is good reason for it not to be, not because it's the right choice, but just because of how he's wired. Yeah. If, if he can wire himself to have the understanding that oftentimes a good shot for Bruce Brown is not as efficient as an okay shot for him or a great shot for Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson right. may not be as efficient as an okay shot for him. He's, he's going to go over. He could average 24, 25 the rest of his career. It'd be great, but he is wired to get good shots. He's wired to be unselfish and we'll see. It's hard to overcome, you know, 15 years of basketball training. <laughs> Uh, over under 10 more times I shift my weight because I'm sitting on the floor in the game. Bridgefield house <laughs> and my feet keep falling. Over. Over. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
That that one is really interesting to me because it would be a big change in the way the player plays, which is the same as the next one I'm talking about, and this is significant. Chad Buchanan talked about it on the ESPN broadcast. Ben Matherin himself has talked about needing to get a little better at this. This sounds like a low bar to clear, but I think it's an important thing. Benedict Matherin, assists per game. Last year he was at 1.5, over, under, two this coming season. I'm going to say under, and I don't like it. He had 116 assists and 152 turnovers last year, and that's not great. That's playing against backups. Um, That's that's not what you want to see. There's a case that he'll go over here. Um, He's going to be playing with the starters. So he's not going to be doing as much self-creation. He's going to be surrounded by much better scorers. You know, the Pacers bench last year was not optimal for him to get assist, we'll say. Uh, Scrappy players, very fun to watch, not optimal on the offensive end always. Uh, So he's going to have more assist opportunities. And I think that he, he could definitely average two or three with some improvement there. But I... I have concerns that the change to the starting lineup and facing better defenders every night is going to be a bigger adjustment for him that he's going to be more focused on, well, how do I beat this team's second best defender instead of how do I beat this team's sixth man? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like it's funny because he has the chances to just get that one extra assist so easily because he does draw in people when he drives. Like he can get by his own guy a lot, which does shift the defense. He just gets tunnel vision. He hit the basket and he draws fouls so well that like, it's fine that he takes some of the shots he does. But to me, it feels like one assist per game is like not even that much of a brain switch. It's just like, if you see two guys in front of you, someone's open, you know, and that happens a good amount for him. Like, I think three or four at this stage of his career might be a, a tough brain switch for him, just given what he's good at. But I think the extra half will be easier. And, like, the reason so – though I'm going to go over, but not for any reason that of, like, big belief that he's going to be, like, way better as a patch this year. But just because of how much other people, including him, have talked about it, like, I think he's going to be thinking more in-game, which could be bad. Yeah. Like, like, I actually think sometimes when players think and they're not playing naturally, it's bad for their impact and skill. But like him getting those things to be routine and making that be just like a part of the fiber of the way he plays is so significant to me for his long-term growth, right? Because he's guarded yeah. way different. Guys like relocate differently when he has the ball. Defenders think differently when he's doing things. Like it's so it's so important for the future of him as a player. And I think he knows that. And the team has made it clear, which I think is good, that that's part of it. So I think there's going to be a concerted effort for him to be that passer. And maybe that's some of the tough love stuff Rick does with him this coming season like last year and because of that i think it will be over but not like 2.8 over like 2.1 or 2.2 over but that's still meaningful to me just because of how like if they're if if someone's guarding him like they need they need help because he's so shifty he can get by guys he just has to be able to use that advantage to do more than just like go hard to the basket because like you said last year a lot of turnovers involved in that right his handle's not the cleanest so it to me it's not like low-hanging fruit but it's close enough that I think he'll go over, but I almost feel a little too optimistic saying that after his summer league too, where that wasn't the case, but he's just so good at drawing fouls and shifting the defense that I think he can do it. It's just going to take a little bit of awkwardness at first. 
Yeah, in his free throw drawing, I think you even talked about this in a previous pod. This is like the only people who've ever done that as a rookie are <laughs> Hall of Famers. Yeah. Like yeah. Hall of Fame level, level players. And I think that gets, I won't say gets into his head like a bad thing, but I think when you're doing that at such an elite level, you know, you, he, he knows it. I, mean, I am very good at this. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to go get to the line. Um, and that's a mentality, but he could get the over on this just through film room, just through sitting down with Rick or the assistant coaches and watching some of the plays and them saying, okay, when you get defended like this, look here. Uh, but you mentioned the thinking. There's a very obvious example on the Pacers that thinking gone wrong. Uh, for years, we've seen it with Miles. When Miles gets out yes. there and plays aggressively and doesn't get in his head, he's amazing. He's a pick and pop menace. He gets those occasional driving dunks. It's great. And when he tries to think through the offense and read the plays ahead, everything just kind of grinds to a halt. So like you said, that can be a bad thing. I'm really interested in this one. Uh, some of the field house, the former field house guys are lower on Matherin than I am because they think that he's just going to be like a drive head down into the defense, every play turnover machine. And but some I've of those guys end up being good. <laughs> some of those guys end up good, right? Not like awesome, but like valuable NBA players, right? Right. So I, now, I'm very curious. After his start to his career, but I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I digress. Yeah, it's just like get get to one step from the basket and then turn your chest to the corner. Like someone's going to be there, uh, ideally, right. and then it's there. But that is a hard change given what he's good at. That sounds like a low bar. All right, a team one for my next one. The Pacers' defensive rating. <laughs> I was torn, so I actually failed you because I didn't give you a number in this prompt because I was torn between doing a specific number or a league ranking, and I have mm-hmm. opted to go for league ranking. Last year, they were 26th in defense, only ahead of the Pistons, Blazers, Rockets, and Spurs, a.k.a. four of the top teams in the lottery. <laughs> the teams right in front of them were Dallas, Sacramento, Utah, Atlanta, Washington, Charlotte. Over, under... Pacers ranking in defensive rating this season, 20.5. To be clear for listeners, over would be a defensive rating, 21st or worse, and under would be 20th or better. 20.5. Yes. Ooh. (laughs) Yes, a good number. I was actually agonizing over what number to go with. I almost said 21.5. So I'm going to take the over, meaning that it's worse. Yes. To to be clear on that. I had to specify because I can't be confusing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the over, meaning that it's worse. I don't, as we talked about, I don't think they're going to start Jairus Walker. Uh, I think Walker will have many holes in his game as a rookie, but I think he's going to be a menace defensively. Uh, Bruce Brown's going to help, obviously, but Halliburton's still not great. Matherin's not great. If they're starting Toppin, I'm not excited to see OB Toppin guarding starters. That, that'll be interesting uh i I think they're still going to have a lot of holes i do think they will be better i think they'll be markedly better especially when you're looking at the actual numbers i think there will probably be a cluster from like 14 or 15 down to 22 and i just think the pacers are going to end up at the bottom of that i like that thinking so what they have this year they didn't have last year is a credible five-man lineup with just their rotation players. That's all plus defenders, right? And that would be Nemhard, 
Bruce Brown, Neesmith, Walker, Turner. Walker's a rookie, so he's a swing guy there. He could be bad at defense. But in theory, those five guys should all be playing for the Pacers every night and can defend the position that they were listed in that lineup at least credibly enough to go, yes, that's a good defensive unit. Now, the other five guys that would presumably be in the rotation that I didn't just say would be Tyrese Halberton, Buddy Yield, Ben Matherin, Obi Toppin, and Pick Your Center. That is not as good a defensive unit. Um, so it's almost like down to how they balance the rotation in terms of minutes to me and how high they can climb defensively. Like they could really emphasize some of those defensive guys that weren't up that number, but that would sacrifice a lot of their identity or their shooting or something. So Turner obviously can play in both groups, which is significant for the Pacers. But to me, I think that if you're playing Halliburton, Heald, and Matherin a good amount, even with the inclusion of Bruce Brown and Jarris Walker at the four, you're not going to climb as high as they maybe think they can this year. Like Walker growing, like I think he'll be an awesome defender. Summer League was just like, holy smokes, this guy's everywhere. Right. Uh, it was crazy. And he'll pair great next to Turner in the front court. So, like, I think I can get higher. But, like, the tier from 15 to 20 in defense last year, right? Brooklyn, Denver, the Clippers, the Magic, the Knicks. Like, that's some decent defensive teams. Like, that is a hard tier to get into. And not that they can't get that. Like, at their best, they should be close to that level, I think. But I think they're probably closer to the defensive ascent to reach your, like, Charlotte – Atlanta, Utah range, and that sounds worse than it is. But like that, those teams, to be clear, their defensive rating was three points better than the Pacers last year. Like that's huge. That would right. make the Pacers is- way better. This sounds like an insult, and it's not because of how bad their defense was last year. But I think I think it'll be over as well. But I think it'll be like 21st or 22nd, which should still, if their offense maintains, get them close to like the team we described earlier about a 500 team. Yeah, and I I could see you know I I think Buddy gets moved this year. Uh, if Buddy gets moved and they put TJ McConnell into rotation minutes, that obviously helps the defense. McConnell's nasty on that end. Yes, and if Jarris Walker earns more minutes than Toppin, that helps the defense. There there are plenty of ways that I think they can. I don't know if they can crack the top fifteen, but they can get towards that. Uh, I could see a lot of paths to that, but the team as constructed, I, I would take the over. I think they're going to be yeah, like 22nd. I would too. It's closer than I thought, but I think at 21 and a half, I'd probably take the over too, but just barely. All right. I'm going to cut my last one I sent you and go with the one you sent me because I think it's very interesting and potentially related to one, something you just said, and two, how people feel about this player. That's Andrew Nemhard, a very interesting young player in the Pacers system. Dominant summer league. Looked fantastic. Tyrese Halliburton said he told the front office this guy should not be playing. He's too good. Uh, and then he had another great game right after Tyrese said that. And then he was done playing Summer League. Good enough that people have been talking about, hey, like maybe he'll be the backup one and McConnell won't play at all because, hey, this guy's got to play. His defense is awesome. He can play multiple positions. I don't have to sell people Andrew Nemhard. If you watched the Pacers last year, you get it. So Will proposed this topic to me before we started recording. How about an over-under for Andrew Nemhard starts? And he, I guessed what number he was going to say, and I overshot it by a ton. This is good because now we can discuss this. I said, if you're thinking Andrew Nemhart could move into a starting spot this year, in my head I was thinking that means one of Matherin or Brown just can't hack it with the starters and they need to make a change. And that also means Nemhart has presumably been good enough that they feel like he's the answer off the ball. And so – the thing, that, the thing that popped into my head was it took them 27 games last year to pull the plug on the Jalen Smith starting experience. They gave it to like a little before New Year's. That seems like a reasonable time, a third of the season, to make a change. 
And so if they did it then, there'd be like 50 games left. And that was where I came up with my number of 50. And Will said, oh, my number was 30. And his reasoning was more related to trade reasons. If Buddy Heald is gone, for example, or some of the stuff I just said happens, perhaps that could be a reason he moves into starting lineup. But that happened later in the season. So we can debate this now from the middle. 40.5, Andrew Nimhard starts this season for the Pacers over or under. Will, what do you think? I uh, Obviously, I'm going to take the under here. Uh, <laughs> I am going to also, even though I just made the pitch for the over, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I think it would have to be a shockingly, either a shockingly bad Matherin season to the point where we're all concerned about the use of that pick on him, where they decide that, oh, his his outcome is Jamal Crawford, you know, right. six man scorer, uh, or they decide Bruce Brown can't hack it, like you said. But Bruce Brown is, I, I think, a much better him. starter. Yeah, it, you you want him next to Halliburton. You, you want him to help cover some of Halliburton's deficiencies there. Uh, so I think it would be a hard path for Nemhard to start. He started sixty. Three games last year, Tony. Sixty-three games. Yep. Um, but I, I do think, like I said, Heald gets traded, and if there are injuries, or we know Rick with this young team has not been afraid to mix and match. You know, I could see a few injuries here and there, and maybe Rick says, "Well, let's see, let's see Ben off the bench for a little bit. Let's see how Bruce Brown looks." and Suddenly we look up and Nemhard has started 40 games. Like there's there's a case to be made for it, but I'm I'm gonna take the under. I think it bears watching because he's good. He's he good. good. He's gonna get minutes. He's gonna force the issue. Um he's he's gonna make it hard to keep him off the floor. He's good, he's young, and this is this would be another case to make. Like Bruce Brown can a little bit, I think, but like there's a chance that they get through 10 games and go, man, we have no playmaking with the starters. Like, Hal Burton can do it, obviously, but no one else can pass that well. And they just need someone else who can organize stuff or, like, be a secondary creator like Nemhard was last year at times. And maybe he's the answer. So I don't think he'll start more than 40 and a half times, to be clear, because I think Bruce Brown's going to start every game. <laughs> and that's a big part of this. Uh, they signed him for a reason, and he's good. But I think that the, the question was good because it kind of illustrates, like, Maybe he's a bigger part of this team's future than he's given credit for, kind of given the shape of the team and the position he plays. And he can do so much for them because – and you could even say this for Toppin if they wanted to move Bruce Brown to the starter of the four, which seems a little crazy, but Rick started four guards last year. Like there, There's probably four starters that if they got hurt, you could make the argument that Nemhart should be the guy who was in the starting five. I don't think they would start him. I don't think they'd shift four guards instead of starting Jarris if it was Obi who got hurt. But at any of the other three guard spots, you could make the argument that Nemhart should now be the starter. So that's another way he moves into it. So I bet it's over like 20, but I think 40 is probably too high. <laughs> uh, I had not even considered Rick toying with starting Brown at the four. I don't think he'll do it. To be clear, that would take an injury. I don't think he'll just do that. But yes, I don't think that's impossible. <laughs> Aaron Neesmith was the Pacers four for a lot of games last year. Mm -hmm. um, and if he wants to play top in the five with the second, maybe Jairus Walker's at the... <laughs> we're solving a lot of problems that we're also creating on this show. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, we we are making these problems for ourselves. Um, There's a yeah, chance that none of them Russian. This was fun. We didn't even get into some of the stuff I wanted to get to with Jarris's playmaking or just general Miles Turner conversation about what his next steps are. But still, lots of time in the offseason to dive more into those guys. Will, thank you for the time. Where can people follow you and your musings on the Pacers, the NBA, and other things? You can follow me at Will Fur F U R R. NBA on twitter.com. I'll give you the name of the website because I refuse to call it its new name. Or at Boots with the on threads. That will Ooh, probably man. be a it. newer home for me. So when I was talking with Tom Lewis last week, he called it Z. I thought that was funny. I might just call it Z. That was good. Um, yeah, this was a great show this week. Progressing. Uh, tomorrow we'll probably do another Newsy and international show. We've gotten a lot more healed Tice and Halberton games. He, in fact, plays in 45 minutes again against Spain. Um, some more news to get to. And then I think this week, potentially, there could be some schedule chat, given how much of it appears to be leaking out one by one, which is totally ridiculous, um, which should be pretty fun. And I forget what the other show I have on the schedule is this week. We'll see. And I have a player who I we'll be talking to but i don't know when because i'll be out of town this coming weekend so we'll see them yeah. not the fun stuff coming date to be determined on all of it thank you guys a ton for listening today and of course thank you will for the time we'll see you thanks for having me tony